podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrooks. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. On this week's Stop Hammer Time, we have the author of An Irrational Hatred of Luton, West Ham Till I Die, The Legacy of Barry Green, and to complete this trilogy of books, a fourth book coming out later this year, I am exclusively revealing to people who already know this fact. It is Rob Banks. Good evening. Rob, uh, what is the title of your new book? The new book is called An Irrational Hatred of Everything. In an echo, in a spooky echo of the first book, An Irrational Hatred of Luton, yeah. you've broadened your spectrum to involve everything. Yeah. Um, and let's concepts, face it, concepts, uh, yeah. countries, people, foodstuffs. Yeah. 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 Um, just people generally. Right, and, right. And habits. Habits. And, yeah. 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 Every chapter starts with, a, with an irrational an hatred. An irrational hatred. An irrational hatred. Now, on the uh, Facebook group, uh, you you made a sort of group within a group, uh, uh, an irrational hatred of everything group. Yeah. People were invited to post their 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 irrational hatreds. After a while, they simply posted hatreds. Yes, I mean, um, some of them were not necessarily that irrational. No, no, um, no. But uh, every now and then, you get one that is completely irrational. I mean, uh, Colin the other the other day, posted, Colin Milne, Colin Milne posted skiing. Which um, perfect is perfect because yes. most people skiing quite is good like for you. skiing. It's good exercise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you know, um, I'm with him. I've, yeah. I can't see the point of it. Colin but. is a heavy set gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you might say that. I couldn't possibly comment. You you must comment. <laughs> you, you must. I invite you to. Also I, on this week's podcast, he is one of Britain's top lawyers. And uh, as such, knows a lot about defence. And uh, that's <laughs> one, one thing we might be talking about. It's one of Britain's top barristers. It is, of course, Simon Pentel. Thank you very much for the lovely introduction. And uh, it's very lovely to be back um, this season, um, having done the very last podcast for last season. Of course, that's right. And all I can say to start with is that I'm reminded of the words of the very controversial but comical and fictional character, Alf Garnett, who said, supporting West Ham is like life itself. There's the odd moment of joy down the years, but most of it's bloody misery. Right. And I think that probably sums up exactly where we are right now. It probably does. It probably does. Now, we haven't done one of these since uh, our kind of uh, pre-season look forward to this season uh, with Sam Delaney, myself and Jim... um, uh, a couple of weeks ago and since then things have gone horribly well <laughs> and we've played football twice and lost both games well it'd be we've... arguable whether we've actually played football twice it, it is arguable it, it's, that's a very good point yeah. I went to both of those fixtures I went to the away game at Liverpool and the home game at uh, at the Thunderdome, and uh, we shipped six goals and scored one penalty in return it's uh, looking a bit bleak uh the word relegation is only ever yeah. used by Donald Trump when he reads the, the word <laughs> regulation, regulation on an auto. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I think we can invoke that word. I think, no, we can't. No, we can't. It's two games now. Two go- I think the next, uh, the next 32 games are going to, 36 games are going to define our season. And um, uh, that's, uh, it's a little worrying, but um, I, I think everything will be all right. It's very early to be talking about relegation. Um, and and indeed panicking, but we said that this time last year. I, th- I seem to recall we after yes. losing four 0 on the opening day, and then yes. and then losing by a single goal in the next match, and yes. uh, things didn't improve 
dramatically and uh, you would you're entitled i think i think you are entitled people talk about entitlement as a football fan but when your club has just spent best part of 100 million pounds and brought in a uh, a manager that's won you know a title and two cups with with one of the biggest teams in the yeah. country and managed real madrid you're entitled to think we should have seen better than that. Yeah, the team I saw at Liverpool. The team I saw at Liverpool. I one thing I thought about that game was that um, either of the last, the previous two seasons teams would have done about as well as the new team did against Liverpool. There wasn't a sense that we gave them anything to think about. Well, we didn't. But um, I have to say that. For me, and, and I thought this at the very outset, when a lot of West Ham fans that I know were jumping for joy with the appointment of Pellegrini, I very much took a step back on that one because, of course, he spent two years in China and has achieved nothing. And notwithstanding, not only that he's won the Premier League, I think he was the first non-European manager to ever win the Premier League. Oh. And he, on paper, it's great. But it, for the last two years, he's been in China. He's done nothing. He's been out of the game. And I, I just, I'm, I'm really concerned about it. I'm not satisfied about it. Let's wait and see. But my great fear is this: that you've just said, Phil. You know, you know, it's all too early to too early yet to start using the R word. Um, the obvious concern is this: that if we lose on Saturday at at, at the Arsenal. And having seen a few glimpses thus far this season of Wolves, they look pretty damn handy to yeah. me. And if we get beaten at home, then we're in that run of Chelsea at home, Man United at home, or Everton away, Everton Chelsea away. at home, Man United at home, Brighton away and Tottenham at home. And that takes us into November. And you really can't have less than... 10 points on the board by the time you roll into November. And that conceivably can happen to us because the way the fixtures have um, come out of the hat. I mean, to the extent that, as I was speaking to somebody today who said, you know, who happens to be a Liverpool fan and said the words, of course, when the fixture list gets announced, what everyone in the Premier League is hoping for for their first game is West Ham at home because you always lose 4-0. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's true. And ironically, when you look at who we've had on our first um, fixtures in the last few seasons, this year, Liverpool away. The year before that, Man United away. The year before that, Chelsea away. Yeah. Um, year before that, Arsenal away. Uh, yes, that's right. Although, of course, we, we won that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really quite frightening. And you know, when we get off to a terrible start... It affects confidence, it affects belief, it affects the tactics, and it's not just an arithmetical exercise of saying, well, we've got enough games left, we can make 40 points. If you're on the floor and you've got a couple of points from a 10 games, it flattens everything mm. and it's really difficult to pick yourself up and make up the ground. I've always yeah. said that, I've always said that a, a good start is, is just vital. And, and yes, it's, you know, the first game is one game, it doesn't matter who it's against, and if you if you don't put in a shift and you don't put in a performance, it affects the confidence for the next game. And, I felt and that um, I felt that the uh, our first home game of the season uh, last Saturday against Bournemouth slightly felt like it was suffering from a hangover of the previous two seasons, in that it actually felt quite nervy from the outset. Um, it is second game of the season yeah. against some that, that you would ho hope to play well against or put in a performance against or beat uh, for it for the performance to be that nervy when their mm. equaliser went in we 
folded, really. Um, well, of all the teams, you know, if you accept that we we get a big team away on the opening day, all you can ask for for your first home game is a Bournemouth or a Brighton absolutely. or a, I don't know. Yeah, somewhere Crystal else Palace on the south maybe. coast with a, with a seaside. Yeah, yeah Southampton. Southampton, yeah, yeah, maybe. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. has a um, marina anyway. The... Um, We'll talk about going forward in in a minute, but uh, the same problem seems to have hung on, which is absolutely no midfield uh, and uh, just not winning the midfield battle, but not even really participating in any significant sense in the midfield battle, which mm. was our problem last season. I'd I'd almost suggest that even in games we won, we didn't necessarily win a midfield battle. We just played it into channels yeah. for Arnautovic to chase and uh, missed the midfield out almost in its entirety. We cannot perform in midfield. We haven't been able to the last two seasons and these two games, our midfield was non-existent. I would Again. argue even, that it, even during the final season at the bowling, we didn't have that that strength in midfield. We had a brilliant player in Payet that was able to yeah. carry the team through, but we didn't have... Um, um, Chiati was playing better than he... Than he was playing he, better, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but that, that position has been crying out for the last two years. Well, and it's, it's, it's been, been going longer than that, if I may interrupt yeah, you. Forgive yeah. me, Rob. Um, that position has not been filled, notwithstanding that we got relegated with him in the side since, since Scott Parker... Um, who was the last proper box-to-box yeah. West Ham player who was a linchpin. I mean, notwithstanding that he, we all know he won the player of the season for three successive seasons. Um, and to, he won the Football Writers Award um, carrying a team that got relegated, which just shows just mm. dramatically how much of an impact he had. But he actually carried that team from mm. the centre of the midfield and we have not had anyone come close to that level of performance in that position, which is a key position... And there seems to have been an absence, irrespective of whomever the manager, of trying to replace him and fill that role. And for the life of me, I don't get it. Because if you look around the league, um, we all know the importance of N'Golo Kante. We all know the importance of Matic. um, And every other top club has got a player like that. And we haven't had someone going back to Scott Parker. And that's an awful long time ago now. They're not necessarily a sort of destroyer, though, are they? I mean, those two names are the two two of the kind of four or five that I can think of. There's there's Matic, Kante... um, uh, Nzonzi gets invoked by Jim. Mm. Jim now just involuntary barks the word <laughs> Nzonzi. The in meds are starting to kick in. And, uh, and uh, uh, Nzonzi is now being used as an example, despite the fact he must now be in his early to late 50s, yeah. uh, because I think there are sort of few of those players in a way. Um, uh, Liverpool seem to have acquired one, that Kia. Keita, yes. yeah, yeah. He seems to have slotted into their team, kind of doing that job. I mean, we did have, as our central midfield pairing, um, I mean, it was in a team that went down, but it was also in the same team that finished seventh, um, Carrick and Cole, neither of whom are like, you know, battle-scarred, cleaner-outer of an opposition player. 
it's, just I don't think it's, to be it's someone not, that hangs on to the ball. It's not necessarily a position or a, a style of play that you associate with West Ham. I think that's part of the, well, part of the problem. Well, ex- except for the fact that, of course, I would say this because I'm a huge, I'm, I'm a massive fan, as everyone is. But, you know, for 20 years, you know, from, from the mid 60s to the 90s, we did have a certain individual called um, William Bond, yes, OBE, right. he was the, um, yeah, yeah. who was the ultimate yes, he was. Um, yeah, yeah. In, in that sort mm. of player. And uh, certainly uh, Alan and Bishop, you could see Good that call. that was kind of a sort of... Alan, Alan was a kind of enforcer yeah. and Bishop was a sort of uh, cultured uh, sprayer of accurate passes. And, you uh, know, it makes you wonder now, you know, what would, what would Jeff Pike be worth? You know, I mean, he was colloquially known at the time, and I remember hearing the term, um, describing him as dog shit, which I thought was pejorative. But it turned out the reason for it was that it was because, you know, he's fucking everywhere. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, he might have been somewhat limited in his skill set, but... You know, Jeff Pipe was literally everywhere. Yeah. And we haven't had a player, you know, going back to Scott Parker, re- close to that whatsoever. Well, actually, Mullins became that. Well, M- Mullins, when he played at right back for us, was uh, when he was first acquired by Pardew, was, uh, and I said this at the time, one of the worst players I had ever seen <laughs> in a West Ham show. When... We went up to the Premiership and he was moved to holding midfield mm. with um, an inform Rio Coca doing mm, a little bit ben more, carrying, out of, carrying it out of uh, midfield, giving it to Yossi and then moves beginning that way. Mullins became a terrific player. And That's the it, same Hayden Mullins mm. that kept out Mascherano, isn't it? That's, um, yeah. Well, I think Mascherano, <laughs> to be fair, Mascherano kept himself out yeah, of the team. Yeah. <laughs> well, he dropped the wrong player. Uh, he, when Mascherano came in, he should have dropped Rio Coca, who, when he didn't get his move to Arsenal, yeah. stopped playing and more or less went, went on strike. Mullins was actually playing okay. He should have played Mullins and Mascherano, uh, and uh, he didn't. But um, I mean, you know, I think it was two seasons ago. We, you know, we shipped tons of goals at the beginning of the season, as we as we now pretty much perennially do, and Billet switched to three at the back and that did patch it up you know in a kind of very agricultural way it just fixed the problem in the same way that uh that sam allardyce's dinosaur brained approach to football was to (laughs) try and find the world's hugest footballer buy him and put him in front of the back four, which he did with Papa Booba Diop, who was literally named <laughs> after a piece of household furniture. Right. He was the wardrobe, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he was the wardrobe. And we could all see, watching that, that it doesn't have to be a giant. And in fact, I think Papa Booba Diop got injured. So he literally put the next biggest player, <laughs> uh, which was James Tompkins, in that role, simply for their size, as if somehow this notion that it takes a long time to go around that player might somehow hold the other team up. In which case, you might as well just buy the Angel of the North put, and put uh, them in front of the... Put uh, Freddie Sears on um, Mark Noble's shoulders and, yeah, and yeah. put a big uh, shirt put a on. a long overcoat yeah, on. Yeah. Whereas by the end of the season, something we could all see but Sam couldn't was that uh, Gary O'Neill or indeed Mark Noble could play in that position and Ooh. did very, very capably, at well, least it, it, in the it, championship. It, it's that... It really does um, support the contention in that regard that size isn't everything. Basically. Um, mm. And of course, we're That's talking a hope about. I cling on Kante, to <laughs> Kante proves Kante that, proves that yeah, point. Yeah. And so many times. Ty- it's, it's really. It's that. 
tigerish sort of attitude um you know you don't have to be like bonzo made of stone you know the the world's strongest man Mm -hmm. who would flatten anything in front of him because he was just so muscular and strong it doesn't have to be that and i don't think anyone's calling for that although i would say this um with all the fuss that was made this time last year about us not signing carvalho having seen him um at the world cup i couldn't believe why we didn't go in for him this time around as a free transfer not that it's ever a free transfer because the signing on for you would have probably been about 15 million quid. Mm. But that aside, you know, he, he, look, he was huge. He looked like yeah. Sonny Liston, the former heavyweight mm. boxer, of course, famously lost his crown to Muhammad Ali. But he looked like that. Yet every time he got the ball, he just gave it five yards and moved on, gave it five yards and moved. He never mm. gave the bloody ball away. Mm. And that's the sort of player we've been crying out for for so long and re- managers one after the other after the other seem not to have fastened onto that which all of us can see no exactly I mean I, I think if you um, simply put someone in that role and tell them to stay there they'll probably do a not bad job at it in fact Sanchez on on Saturday clearly was put on to do that and did a pretty good job at it. I agree so, with you when mm. he came on actually with all the I mean, he's been written about very critically. Mm. Um, but I actually thought for the last 20 minutes yeah. when he came on on Saturday, he looked all right in that position. Well, he'd been sent out onto the pitch with a clear set of dis- instructions, which was to be that player that sits in front of the back four, just, you know, traps it, passes it, watches the game. There was a sort of, um, you know, talking of people playing in that position. I remember that, uh, you know, he, he had a very patchy time for us, but uh, Alex Song uh, mm-hmm. occasionally had some fantastic games in that position. And, you know, the, the sort of idiosphere of social media uh, had it that he was a very sort of uh, lazy player that didn't run around much. Whereas, in fact, what he did was he sort of jogged constantly around the pitch rather than stopping and walking like footballers do he was constantly in motion because he was reading the game in front of him Mm. so that when he was in a position to cut something out he was only a few yards away from it rather than a desperate noblesque last minute sprint and sliding tackle and free kick which makes it look as if that player is working incredibly hard Mm. this is not a criticism of Mark Noble it's a sort of criticism of the problems in the team that mean that Mark Noble has to suddenly sprint and slide into a player to try and dispossess him Um, a player that you put into that position that just tries to read the game and cut out potential problems it seems to be what we need now or go three at the back what do you think about the um, playing Wilshire and Noble in the same team it's a disaster far too similar I mean uh, Wilshire is the player that Mark Noble always aspired to be if you ask me Mm. Um, and and I think it's I think on Saturday, as much as one can guess, it's going to be um, Wilshire and Sanchez. Um, Wilshire has to play, um, if for no other reason, um, you know he's he's bound to do something great against his former club on that old rule of football that that's what happens. Yeah. So yeah. I think he, he I think it'll be him and Sanchez on Saturday. Uh, we'll continue with this uh, after this message. <laughs> Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrokes. Welcome back. And uh, we are, uh, yes, we, we, where we were before we uh, took our break, during that, during which time definitely I, I, where went, we were I before, went home. Yes. Yeah. Uh, popped home, as you know. I um, went on holiday. Back. I had a quick yeah. shower. So you, went, you had a shower, yeah. Simon, you went on holiday. I did. Where it was did you great. go? Great. Um, I went to uh, Joburg. 
Joe Bird. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting in, in choice. In a rocket. Oh, very good. <laughs> to uh, get it back for, could he get back for the second half of this? Elon Musk. Indeed. Elon Musk rocket. <laughs> well, it used to be, but things aren't going too well for dear Elon at the moment. No, no, they, they're not really. Yeah. He's a very strange man, isn't he? <laughs> well, it's out, you know, I think that, you know, he's, he'll probably, we'll probably find him on the board at West Ham very soon. Mm, mm. Um, with, with the same sort of financial brilliance as, 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 as the Dildo Brothers. He's a little more, um, uh, a little more tactful than uh, Dave Sullivan. He's not a much. Bit. Do you think not long after he's on the board, uh, the stadium will, will be on a kind of hydraulic system that makes it go down deep into the ground? <laughs> well, I think I think that's that, that, like that's, gets my that's vote. a must, yeah. doesn't it? Really, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, his, his way to go. I think yeah. we, we've got to let's start a petition for Elon Musk to, to be on the board of West Ham. On the board of West Ham. Yeah. Well, we had a very there was quite an aggressive um, uh, there was quite an aggressive s- sort of mode of thought that uh, Fernandez should be the uh, saviour of West Ham United. Wasn't are very strong because they were going, he loves the club, he loves the club, got loads of money, he loves the club. We should get that Tony <laughs> but, Fernandez. But mainly he's got loads of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, that's all, you know, in a way history has uh, proven... Went down well with QPR, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah who have, have done quite brilliantly in reappointing Steve McLaren. That's been a success, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. They've lost 7-1 seven, seven at the weekend, was it? Yep. Um, and by the time this podcast finishes, he'll probably be picking up his P45. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, the Wally with the Wally. Uh, yes, I yes, I mean he uh, Wilshire is noble, but five years younger and a little bit better, isn't he? And and that seemed to be the kind of n- natural progression. Um, I mean, Noble has, to his credit, fought his way back into the team many times. I, I remember doing a sort of, you know, one of the sort of these kind of amusing things written from Mark Noble's perspective, where he is uh, speaking as if he's going to be a member of the team in the championship, despite the fact we have Scott Parker and Kevin Nolan coming in. But in fact, that really did happen because we, we just all went, OK, well, that's... Noble's going to make way it, for these It's difficult two. to take again, Mark Noble. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. very simply, you know, for a player who's played over 400 times for West Ham, that's quite an achievement. And so he must somehow, somewhere along the line, have done something right. Maybe it's a prize for longevity. Maybe it's a prize for stickability. Um, maybe it's a prize for, as Ian Dowie called it, bounce-back ability. I don't mm-hmm. know what ability it is, but clearly he's got it because, you know, he's played over 400 times for a yeah. club he supports. And that's a great achievement and a bloody good living by it. I think because he's a good good player. Because he's club captain, he gets to introduce, he gets to show round the new manager around the the stadium and he says, yeah, 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 I'm I'm club captain, I I play. Yeah, 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 Yeah. this is where I... But I have to say about Jack Wilshire, you know, because we see it from afar, I was quite undecided except for when he played for Arsenal and when we played them at home last season on Wednesday night Mm. in the game that we should have won in the last minute. Yes. But... um, Chicharito managed to hit the bar, I think, rather than score when it would have been much easier to score. But putting that aside, I thought that that night, Wilshire looked simply a wondrous player. And his ability to run with the ball is quite rare in English football and seldom give it away. And there were glimpses of that on... Saturday for me, yeah. and for the great irony being for the hundred million that we spent on transfer fees, if he stays fit, he will be the best buy, I think, by without a shadow of a doubt, of all of them. Yes, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And they're very similar players and were both fulfilling a very similar role in both matches, the Liverpool and Bournemouth game. And I, it's, it feels to me like... Um, 
we should play Sanchez uh, mm. sort of behind the, you know, in front of the back four and then some kind of four and then maybe one up front or some other sort of formula. Um, because our attacking uh, play at the moment is uh, risible and we're not asking any questions of the other team as well. As well as defending yeah. poorly, we're also not giving the other team anything to think about. Mm. Um, Anderson... Uh, seems to fade, but in both games, the Liverpool game and the Bournemouth game, I mean, maybe that is a sort of, the, he's had the summer off and he's getting his fitness back, but after 60 minutes, he seems to lose interest and just stands on the touchline in the way that Matt Jarvis used to. Mm. Uh, stand on the touchline going, well, give me the ball and I'll do something. And the other players are going, well, why don't you cut in and make a run? But the attacking play, the attacking play always comes from defence, doesn't it? And you've got mm. to... If you haven't got a solid defence, then you're not keeping possession of the ball long no. enough to get the ball to the no. forward players. Al- although I'm going to be um, strangely critical of Marco Arnautovic, and I know that sounds simply ridiculous, but I thought on Saturday, um, and it's becoming very much the Marco Arnautovic show, and there was one moment in actual fact in the first half, and I thought it was potentially very telling, when Arnautovic broke fantastically through the middle and when um, Anderson was completely free mm. and unmarked on his left. And rather than slide him in, Arnautovic tried to be another man and score himself yeah. because it's all about Marco Arnautovic. And I think I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I think he's a tremendous talent and he shields the ball better than anyone I've seen for a long yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. But he refuses simply to look either side of no, him no. and it wants it all for himself. And that's a problem that's got to be ironed Something out similar happened when uh, uh, Hernandez made a sort of parallel run with yep. him and he could have yep. slid it across. He just won't do it. Position. No, absolutely. Um, Is there any... Uh, I haven't seen anything on any of the social media sites why Arnautovic took the penalty. Yeah, um, there's been lots of rumours. I think it was that that Nobes missed one in pre-season, didn't he? Oh, did he? Yeah, and Arnautovic, of course, scored um, in the whatever soppy game that was where it went to a penalty shootout. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah and he scored previously and his confidence was high. And, but it did resemble, of course, when he grabbed the ball from Nobes, that, that, that marvellous game, uh-huh. um, you know, the Paolo Di Canio and Frank Lampard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and like... Paolo, in fairness, he stuck it in exactly the same corner, yeah. completely unsavable when you fear, because of the way in which he's grabbed the ball, that um, football justice will, decl- will, mm. will deem that he will miss. But, of course, he's far too good a player to do something yeah, as yeah. silly as that, yeah. as was, of course, Di Canio when he did precisely the same thing. At Liverpool, uh, I was quite struck by the fact that our fullbacks couldn't get out of their own half mm. at all. Uh, the, the speedy Fredericks, whose USP was his kind of pace up the right flank seemed pretty much unable to get past the uh, halfway line. Obviously, Liverpool uh, have a kind of an extraordinary attacking threat, unlike any other club in the country. Uh, they, they put all their uh, eggs in that basket, don't mm. they? Like Salah, Mane and uh, Firmino. Uh, they, they are all about attacking. So obviously, our, our fullbacks had their hands full. But... Um, uh, Fredericks was then dropped for Saturday's game and uh, whether that's sort of Zabaleta, you know, the, the feeling that Zabaleta is a more uh, experienced and confident right back than Fredericks I is. I felt he dropped, well, he dropped the wrong fullback. I, I, I agree. I would have quite happily seen Fredericks retain his place. Yeah. 
because I think he has more to offer on that right side well, than Zaba. Obviously, Lefebvre. there's a history between Zaba and and the manager, mm-hmm. but. Um, and, you know, you can't help but love Zabaleta because his work rate mm. is, is, yeah. is fantastic. But, you know, he can't play on the right side of a back four. It's in, for very different reasons that um, Masuaku can't play on the left side of a four. No. Um, <laughs> That's one's got no ability. pace and one the other's got no ability <laughs> to defend. But, yeah. I mean, we're essentially go back to the same position. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Antonio... Certainly up at Anfield, um, did quite a lot of sort of what amounts to the worst of Antonio, which was was go on a run with the ball and essentially that run will carry on until he's in a kind of defender sandwich and then he falls over. And... um, um, but I've always thought of uh, Mikel Antonio. You know, he's like the Tin Man. You know, if he only had a brain, because yeah. he's got every other attribute. You know, he's got size, he's got pace, he's got strength, but he's got no bloody football brain, no footballing mm. guile whatsoever. And uh, I, it feels like um, Yarmolenko's cameos make me feel that he has a bit more. Oh, gun. he's a proper footballer. Yeah, yeah. and I, I sort of thought that that, that in fact he. Um, when he came on against Bournemouth on Saturday, his instinct was to keep the ball and run with it yep. nearly every time. A lot of those runs were sideways across <laughs> the pitch, it has to be said. But, you know, maybe there's no movement in well, front of him. You know, it's orientated. I, I did think that when, um, when that substitution was made, I sort of thought, no, leave Hernandez on and bring Yarmolenko on as well. Take someone else off, one of possibly Noble, which was, he was taken off a bit later. But that seemed to be slightly the wrong, you know, for Hernandez to work, he's got to be in the penalty area with people that are sort of going to put the ball in there or take it in there and pass. But Hernandez should work in a Pellegrini team because Pellegrini um, believes, and he always has throughout his whole managerial career, in 4-4-2. as, yeah. as, what was his name, Mike Bassett, England manager, said 4-4 yeah. four, four, bloody 2. Um, and that's what Pellegrini plays. I don't think he'd ever played with a three at the back at City. No. I couldn't say what he did at Real, but he was only there for one season with a load of Galacticos and they still didn't win the league. They lost it, by, I think, by three points at the end from Barcelona, even though they amassed some extraordinary number of points. And so they bombed him out um, shortly thereafter. But... He is a four four two man. Mm. Now I quite like four four two, but in this day and age, you've got to adapt, and you can't just yeah. stick to it like the proverbial smelly stuff to the proverbial black blanket. Yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? Because um, you know there has been a little bit more of a vogue for four four two, but those kind of flying wingers feel now like a bit of a thing of the past. Those sort of gigsies, the kind of last. Well, I mean, obviously, Bale at Real Madrid is one, but but uh, the uh, certainly in this country that the vogue for the flying winger United used to have all of them, didn't they? Gillespie, Poborski, Kanchelskis, but but but, um, but United's. Um, you know, hegemony over English football was premised on classic 4 4 2. Beckham not a flying winger, but Beckham wide on the right, Giggs wide on the left, and yeah. Skulls and that lunatic, otherwise known as Keane, in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, 10 years of that. And as they say, you know, the trophies prove it, don't they? Yeah. They quite often had a sort of more than, rather than two up the front, a sort of one-one type they thing. Did. You'd have someone yeah. like Brian McClare or Mark Hughes, and just behind them you'd have Cantona. 
Yeah. So there'd be well, a sort it, of it was, like a, it was Cantona and Van Nistelrooy, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Sheringham was kind of used mm. in that way, slightly behind slightly whoever withdrawn. was in front of him. I mean, their their classic two up front was uh, Cole and York, mm. wasn't it? Who sort of hated each other apparently, <laughs> um, but they really were like well, they a kind of speak two at all, man. But they could play they're together. They're a two mm. man roving attack force in in the kind of uh, Cotty McAvenny fashion, you know. And I've got to say, I, I'm I'm a great fan of it and. Um, I think that some of my greatest, most fond West Ham memories, of course, with with, with Trevor on one side and Dev on the other side mm. and, you know, two in the middle, yeah. um, whomever it might have been, because I think by the time that happened, um, the great the great Bonzo was playing at the centre of the defence at the time, so he mm. was no longer in the middle. But, but, you know, it was fantastic football and they'd ripped teams apart. But equally, my all-time favourite West Ham team um, is before that, when we played three in the middle... And it was probably the best midfield three I think West Ham have ever had. And I would say one of the best midfield threes in the history of English league, which was Bonds, Brooking and Graham Padden. So you had Mm. a natural left footer who could shoot from 40 yards. You had the all-time brick wall um, in Bill and Chaser Down and Hunter. And, and of course, his principal role of protector-in-chief of the O2 precious Trevor, who was just the ultimate maestro. Um, And therefore, it worked as a three, and I loved it. But as a four, I think Trev and Dev and two in the middle, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, Before we talk about the... uh, the Arsenal game at the weekend. Uh, Rob, you have a new book out uh, oh. coming out in the autumn. Yes. Uh, an Irrational Hatred of Everything. Yes. The spiritual successor to An Irrational Hatred of Just Luton. Yes. In town in Bedfordshire. Um, any reason for... Uh, when was the last? Because the, okay. the last book must go up to, because obviously it's a, it's a pun on... It's a spoonerism of Gary Bree. Yeah. So that it includes... I've read it, but yeah. I can't remember how far it goes. The legacy, it obviously of, has legacy of Barry Green goes up to 2003. To relegation. To relegation yeah. in 2003. So it doesn't go beyond that. Yeah. So, so this book starts in 2003. Oh, and I must admit, when I... When I came up with the idea of the book, I hadn't quite realised that I'd be covering 15, yeah, long 15 time, seasons. Yeah. It's been quite hard work. And eventful. Yeah, I mean, wow. Eventful. The, the, the number of things I've had to cover from, obviously, relegation in 2003 and then the Icelandics taking over um, and then the Tevez affair and then you, well, you name it, uh, Avram I, Grant coming yeah. in and then another relegation and then Allardyce and then you know, what's going on now with the move to the Olympic Stadium, all the protests last year, it's been, know, it's a 130,000 word book. You of know, horror. Pe- people, yeah. uh, people, for some reason, consign uh, the Zola years in the kind of disaster bin, but seem to forget that we yeah. finished ninth yeah. under I mean, him. It's actually... And we played some half-decent football Played some very well. good football. It was, it was oddly, just even that couple of years is immensely eventful because it includes the Icelandic yeah. financial collapse. So I mean, Zola, the- Zola came in after Kerbishley walked away because yeah. of various things. Uh, and obviously Zola came in, inherited a team that was, that was functioning pretty well, took them to ninth place. But then in that summer... Was forced to sell the players against as well. Uh, the situation meant that it was just loan players and, yeah. and, and players going we, out. We, you know, Go on, you're going to tell me, yeah. Rob, who was that 
was it, what's his name? Savio, wasn't it? Oh, the, yeah, Savio. The, yeah. the, the 19 Nazarenko. Cost, Nazarenko. Yeah, who cost like nine or ten million quid, which was a record for us at the time, played about three and a half minutes, and yeah. that was the last anyone mm. saw of him. I think mm-hmm. he made one start and about nine sub appearances. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't make any. He ran further along the touchline warming mm. up than he did in the games. I, I, think, I, I, I think, reckon we probably only paid half a million in yeah. terms of well you know, whatever the, it was but, but it, it just struck me that it just struck me that you know this little schoolboy that came out of somewhere nicely cosseted in Italy took one step out on on onto the pitch at Upton Park and thought oh fuck me for a game of soldiers <laughs> this is far too frightening I'm gonna go home he was home, a bit please. mad wasn't he he ended up faking his own kidnapping or something he went sort of bonkers and the, the length some players would go to yeah, leave yeah. West Ham yeah. Wasn't it? Uh, who's ah? Uh, who's the um, nuts? Who's the guy? Who's the Irish player that played for Sunderland? Uh, who who pretended his grandmother had died or something? Oh. Um, you know, he played for he sort of played for he played for Manchester City for a while. So he started shaving his head and having a little goatee. Um, Stephen Ireland. Stephen Ireland. Well done, sir. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, Said that without moving your lips. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's but that's up there with um, um, when Florian Radicchio came to West Ham. Ah, yes. yes. With all that talent, um, and his first game uh, under Harry, he, he played in the first half, and I think he scored. And he came in at half time, and he looked at Harry, and he got down on his knees and begged and said, "Please don't send me back out there because I can't <laughs> cope with it." And the physical intensity and the crowd on top of him was just simply too much for him to bear. Scored mm. a very good goal against Man U. He did indeed. Curved oh, yeah. it around yep. yeah. Van Van der Hall. Van was it? no, no, it was Schmeichel. Was it Schmeichel? Mm, yeah. Uh, was that, is that and the same game that Dix nearly broke the back of the net? Yeah, and with that with that with that last minute penalty, which of course, um, as and I, I remember. The God, day, is that was, in that game? Yeah, yeah it was. Game, that yeah. was the game we were two 0 down and came yeah. back. And yeah. um, I remember rushing home to watch it all again on Sky. And um, Andy Gray, um, you know, before he got booted out for his sexism and racism, whatever elseisms mm. that Andy Gray is, is, is used to, all of them, and known for, um, actually commented about the penalty that he thought that Schmeichel did very, very well. And his sidekick, Richard Keyes, equally um, sexist and racist and everything else, and of course loves his, loves his daughter's best friends, clearly, if you believe the media, um, um, commented, you know, well, 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 how on earth did you, could you say that Schmeichel did well, Andy? And he said, I think he did bloody well to get out of the way of it. <laughs> yeah. He has another go, doesn't he? Uh, it bounces off the back of the net and Dix tries to hit it in again. I mean, Dixie really yeah. did smash it. it, it yeah, and yeah. It, I think it was up there with that one that he scored in the 4-3 game against Spurs. Yeah. Um, past that, what's his name? Who was the, the, the Walker, wasn't it? Walker, Walker. Mm-hmm. when he absolutely belted it. Yeah, he um, used to sort of hit it at kind of um, chest height, didn't mm. he? He used to... Uh, but it was going um, on the way well, up. It, yeah, it yeah. was like a projectile. If the keeper did get to it, it would take him into the net yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was yeah, Julian's yeah. thinking, really. Yeah. If, if, you know, if you're stupid enough to get in the way of this bloody yeah, thing, yeah. you're going in the back of the net with it, so stay away, away from it. But uh, His long-range shot was extraordinary, wasn't it? It's, it's as if he hit it with a kind of top spin, so that it... It had no bend on it, but it just stayed very low mm. from 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 his boot to the back of the net. It never went above sort of about four feet off the ground, just like a rocket. But it says it, it says it all, doesn't it? And it's a real indictment for West Ham that there were there was a period um, for about four years when Julian was by a mile our best player, yeah. and when oh, your yeah, best yeah. player is your left back, you, you could you have played him. You could trouble. probably have played him in that central midfield role, couldn't you? I think you could play Julian anywhere. You could have played he him. was a midfielder. Yeah. I mean, he had all the abilities of a midfielder. He was yeah. a fantastic footballer, and that's it. Sort of annoys me. I mean, I say this 
again and again on this podcast, but his kind of, um, you know, being consigned by history as uh, to, to the kind of hard man sort of department really pisses me off. You know, actually one of the most kind of cultured footballers mm. I've ever... He would go on a run that would begin from just outside his penalty area to as far as it would go without anyone stopping well, him and in, then in, eventually cross. He joins you know. that triumvirate of of West Ham players. I mean, if you want to include Noble in this, who of course have never famously never played for England and he and Bill um, it was shameful that neither of them played. Yeah, yeah, Bill, yeah. because of course he should have, but he got injured yeah. when he was called up and, and was actually named in the 11 by Ron Greenwood and then got injured in the game before Brazil, immediately mm-hmm. before Brazil and couldn't play. But Dixie, who was contacted, and I, I, I know this is to be true because he told me, um, was contacted, I think it was by Glenn Hoddle, and, and, or who I think was the manager or whoever it was, and said, you, you know, you, I want you to play for England, but you won't play for England with that crew cut haircut. Yeah, that yeah, was uh, yeah. John Gorman. John Gorman. Yeah, you know, with that, with that crew cut haircut, because you're like a thug. So mm. if you want to play for England, um, you better grow your hair. Your and haircut. Julian being Julian, he said, well, fuck you and fuck mm. England. And that's I'd rather build a kennel for my dogs than play yes, for England. And, and, that's, yeah. and, that was, and that was it. Great Rob, sadness. Rob, you have a quiz. You've come in with a quiz. I have. Going to embarrass us I'm now, Rob. Get, uh, thanks for that. No, I'm going to get none of these. Nah. Well, what's the theme of this? The theme of the quiz is opening day. Opening day oh, games. God. Yeah. Season. And we I go back. Such a bad memory. But, but um, you know, mm. you'll like this because it goes back 40 years. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, so it sort of covers roughly the whole period of my books. Right, that's, right. That's the, and our the, lives. Yeah. Yes. Thanks and, for that, Rob. And the story of our <laughs> lives. Yeah. Story of our lives in quiz form. Um, just to set the scene a little bit, because I was doing some research on this, obviously. It's 40, the last 40 seasons, opening day matches. Uh, it's not been good. Won 14, drawn 7, lost 19. Blimey. Shock me. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, in the last 40 years, we've started seven... Yeah, just shout out if you know. If okay, you know. go shout on out then. If you know. um, in the last 40 years, we've started seven seasons in the second flight. We've only won once on the opening day. Preston North End. Ooh. 1978. Ah, no. 78, 79? No. 77, 70, no. No, no. You got Preston right, but no. you're way out with the year. Okay, go on mm, then. 2003. Was it really? Oh, uh, okay. Opening day, uh, Rhoda was manager and Defoe and Connolly scored. Bloody hell, so they yeah. did. That's yeah. half a point to two, Simon yes. and none for me. Yes. 2-1, wasn't I'm not it? keeping score. It was 2-1. Yeah. Uh, we've played 10 teams twice in the opening fixture over the last 40 years. Name three. Chelsea. That's one. Tottenham. That's two. Oh. <laughs> Arsenal. Is <laughs> three. Thank you very much. Yeah, you could have had uh, Birmingham, Barnsley, Cardiff, Luton, Leeds, Liverpool. How many Aston points Villa. does Simon get for that? Um, a point for each, I suppose. So he gets three. He's on so three and a half three. points. I'm on none. Half. Well, I've just picked up a pen now, seeing as you're keeping score. Yeah, I'm keeping score. Uh, there's only ever been two one-all draws on the opening day in the last forty years. Ooh. Blimey. Now that's got me. Cardiff? No. Ooh. Phil, any ideas? One all draws in the I'll opening game of the season. Some clues. Yes. <sighs> Cardiff? Yes. The 
this is all it silence. Now. Doesn't make great podcasting. No, 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 uh, no. It doesn't. I've my no my idea. clue would be for one of them, Lou Macari. Swindon. At that uh, the season that he was manager. 89. Stoke. Stoke. Yeah, I went. Good God, uh, I can't even remember it. Yeah, and um, first season back up uh, after winning the FA Cup. Brighton. Brighton. One all, yes. That's five, five and a half points to Simon. Uh, no, none for the, me. The Brighton game is interesting just for this because, of course, that was our first game that season, um, having won the, the championship with record points and, and won the FA Cup. But on the Wednesday night was the Wednesday night that we won 4-0 at White Hart Lane when uh-huh. Crossy scored all four. Yes. Oh, yeah. Same yes, season. Yes. Uh, we have lost 4-0 on the opening day four times in the last 40 years. Newcastle. Newcastle is one. Manchester United. Yes. Go on, give me Liverpool. Uh, yeah. Oh, Liverpool. <laughs> and City. No? <clears throat> no. In the last 40 years, 4 0. We've said Chelsea, haven't we? No. Uh, Chelsea's not an answer. We no. didn't know. We didn't know. Newcastle, with, Newcastle was 85, 86, wasn't it? Uh, Newcastle was 2002 3. Oh. And Didn't we United... lose our first game in the 85-86 season quite badly? No, we, we lost, lost it 1-0. We lost it 1-0 yeah. right. at Aston Villa. Oh. Birmingham. Was it Bur- okay, it's in Birmingham. Yeah. That's when, of course, that and that game was the game where Paul Goddard got severely injured and John Lyle's masterstroke was to take Frank McAvenny from playing in the midfield where he bought him to play him up front um, alongside TC. And they, as they say, mm. the rest is history. Yeah. Did we lose under Grant in 2000? And... Uh, we lost 3-0 at Villa. 3-0 at Villa, yeah. yeah. The only other 4-0 defeat was in 88-89 away at Southampton on the opening day. Bloody hell. Went on to be relegated... No wonder I've buried that. And we went on to be relegated after losing 4-0 away at Newcastle in 2003. Oh, the portents are not good, are they? (laughs) Um, Biggest home defeat on the opening day in the last 40 years. Oh, dear. I'll give you a clue. It was 3-0. Was that the Grant Villa? No, No, that was was away. That was away, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm tempted to say Everton, but I don't know why. I don't think we've ever played Everton on the opening day. Well, not in the last okay. 40 years, anyway. But, well, I'm uh, obviously yeah. dreaming. Huh? No. Uh, Queen's Park Rangers, 1987-88. Blimey, all right. Mm. Uh, biggest home win, 4-0. Blackburn Rovers? Aston Villa? No. Just keep shouting out names. <laughs> we'll yeah. just go through all wasn't 92 that, teams. Wasn't, wasn't that the Pardew season? Didn't we have a big No, we, we won 3-1 against Blackburn. 3-1 yeah, yeah. against... Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of then. Um, 4-0. Didn't we win 5-2 when we came up... We got promoted... When we went down in 78 or something like that, we won 5-2 that's at home? just outside the 40 Oh, years. so it is. I'm yeah. so sorry. No, no, no. Not. No? Oh, cool. Well done. Um, <laughs> 4-0 at home. We actually beat home. someone at home. Yeah, yeah. It's a bleeding oh, miracle. God. I'm going to have to... Go on, I'll, I'll give you the... Well, the clue will be it's the season that we've won our opening five matches. If that helps. God, God. We, won, we won our opening, we won our five, opening matches. five matches. And we were top until about the end of September and finished the year in third place, but ended up ninth, of course. No? No, don't know. Birmingham City, 
Crikey. Mm. And finally, uh, only one player has scored on the opening day for West Ham on three separate occasions. Frank Lampard. No. Ooh. Twice he has. Yes, he scored away in away his, at Barnsley and in and his first four seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we won one nil. Yeah. I'll tell you who else has twice as well. Uh, Kevin Nolan. Oh. Pop Robson. He may well have done, but, but outside, it's outside it, yeah. forty years. Di Canio's done it twice as well. Yeah, yeah, he has away at Anfield and away and of at course, Chelsea. Not that he did, but Wrighty scored in his debut up at mm-hmm. Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but that's not the answer to the bloody question, but is it? On three separate occasions. TC? No, he's scored twice as well. No. Zamora? No. We're Go going on. back, we're going back. Right. To the start of the 40 year period. Ray Stewart. Right. Ray Stewart. Good old um, Tonka. Bless penalties his heart. against uh, Luton in 1980, Brighton in 81. Yeah, that's right. And Forrest in 82. Good Pen. old Tonks. Pens, good call. Excellent. There you go. Uh, Is that it? There's no overall result. Well, it doesn't have to be, but at least it wasn't a total embarrassment. I think I might have narrowly won that. Uh, yeah, I just did. Uh, lost yeah. count after. Um, in a parallel universe. Shall, shall we do predictions for us? <sighs> do we have to? Do I'm we, going uh, to that. I'm going to that. So am I. Are you? Oh, yes, yes, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God. I mean, I can't see anything other than a crushing defeat. Mm. Uh, shall I? Go on, you Go kick on. us off, I open Rob? with 3-0? Um, well, that was going to be my score. Mm. I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to go for an optimistic two-all. Oh, God. I'm going to go four-nil. Not to us. <laughs> Sorry, okay. boys. It's all uh, going very well. Yes, oh, it's going yeah. fantastically. Well, um, we should probably wrap this up. It's uh, getting towards What would Jim time. say? What would Jim say if he was here? Uh, if Jim, Jim was here... I think Jim would three um, one. Jim Jim would say, "I'm going to I'm going to say three one on behalf of Jim." Jim. He'd say one yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been Stop Hammer Time. My name's Phil Whelans. With me have been Simon Pentel. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Rob Banks. Thank you for inviting me. Come on, you irons. Come on, you irons. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrokes. Sports Social Podcast Network.